Well, listen, I want to share a word with you this morning. Like I said, there's a thousand things running through my heart, my soul, my mind. Thank you, Pastor Wayland, for last week bringing the word. Gretchen and I were actually in Huntsville at the Well at Christ Church there and installing uh, Saul and Kelsey Jose uh, there as uh, uh, to work with the youth and to work with the, the children at their church there. It was an incredible time. It was so sweet. They have served so faithfully in this house, and it's so neat to see these students now starting to get released and placed in places of ministry, and there's more to come. There's more to celebrate of that. But I want to share with you this morning something that's stirring and burning on my heart. Brother Ken, I don't know what I'd do without you and Gretchen. I'm telling you. There's a bunch of other people saying, and me too. I know, I understand. I'm a very needy individual, okay? I can't keep all my stuff together. Well, listen, we're, I'm going to speak on liberty for all. We've already, we've already shared it in worship. We've already gone to that point. But I know as a shepherd, I know as a minister, Gretchen and I were calculating. We went and spent three days together uh, celebrating our 32 years of marriage. And while we're there, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. And thank you. But while we were there, somewhere along the week, we, we tried to calculate just an average of three services a week. When we've been in church, 10 church, we're on vacation, we go to church, and we're just, church is our life. That really is the family uh, of God inside of us, and I'm thankful that, that our family goes to church, and whether they're in Louisville or Mississippi, but that's just, just our life. And we figured well close to 7,000 services. Now, you'd have to consider that 90% of those, and that's just the minimum. That is going minimum. That's not stretching it because sometimes we do eight services in a week, sometimes four services in a week, sometimes 10 services throughout a week. But majority of those, I've had the opportunity to preach in the midst of those. And, and not even, it seems like six, to be honest with you, looking back at it. But all I'm saying is after that, you get a good feeling for church. You understand church? And I could feel the heart of the Lord this morning that some people were not receiving the name of Jesus. And some people were not acknowledging. Maybe you don't want to let go of your bondage. Maybe you're comfortable in your bondage. Maybe, you, maybe something has told you you have to live in that bondage the rest of your life. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ came to set us free. It was for freedom that Jesus Christ set us free. I know a place where the children can run free from all accusation. And listen, there is a place that you can, maybe you've never experienced before, and you're afraid of it. You're fearful of it. Heaven is a place of freedom. There'll be no more dying there. There'll be no more lying. There'll be no more crying there. Be, all that bad stuff will be gone. You can have the kingdom of God on this side of heaven. That's what prepares you to be ready for heaven. Amen. But I could feel maybe not resistance, uh, uh, maybe just the lack of, of sense of, of needing or, or the willingness to accept. You have to accept that name of Jesus. You can shout it all you want, but if you don't accept it, it will not manifest and it will not give you the freedom that you need to have. But it doesn't matter what bondage you have. It could be in your digestive system. It could be in your way of thinking. It could be in a joint. It could be in a spiritual condition. It could be in an emotional condition. I'm here to tell you that Jesus came that you may be free and have liberty. Amen? Get your Bibles out and say this with me. As you're opening up your word this morning, you can open it up to, well, I want you to open up to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, and say this with me. Say it with conviction. Say it as if it's your words. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can be who it says I can be, and I'm going to be who it says I can be. It was written for me, for my correction, for my direction, and my soon coming resurrection. Oh, Lord, be it unto me 
according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just share just a couple of scriptures with you that come to my mind as I was preparing. They're not even the actual text that we're going to preach from, but, but literally it was for freedom that Christ said it's free. And Pastor DJ read it in our office, in my office this morning, and do not become entangled again to the yoke of bondage. Is there anything that maybe you once were free from, but now you're enslaved to again? You're in bondage to again? He who the Son sets free. That's speaking of you, that's speaking of me. The person who the Son, who Jesus sets free, is free indeed. I just have to stop and think about that, free indeed. Absolutely, very, very, yes, you're free. You are not guilty of that anymore. You're not associated with that anymore. You're, it's, not, it's not held on your account anymore. You're free. Indeed. But indeed means you're free to be. You're free to be who he created you to be. You're free to be who he intended you to be. You're free to be who he can use you to be. Are you with me? I think if we look at this side over here, I think we remind ourselves over and over again, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. He's forgiven me. He loves me. He loves me so much. He loves me. He forgives me. But the, the, the reality is, in our actions are we're free. When you get tempted... Do you keep walking in your freedom or return to your bondage? That's not freedom. It's not freedom in your deeds. When you care for somebody and you, you have a loving, compelling heart for somebody and you can't say the words and you can't express, you cannot extend that grace or that servanthood or that kindness to them, your deeds are not free. You want to, but you can't. Does that, does that describe any aspect of your life? I want to say something kind. I want to say something helpful. I want to contribute to this situation. But there's something that just locks me up. There's, there's like, there's like a, a, a cord that restricts me from doing it. That's not freedom. I want to sing. I want to dance. I want to shout. I want to pray. Quietly or loudly. But I can't. That's not freedom in your deeds. He who the Son sets free, this is a promise, this is a truth. He who the Son sets free doesn't just have a good church service that gets them along a few days down the road. They become free indeed. So I have to ask you a question. Do you want to be free? Do you need freedom? I think we've experienced in the last two years or so what it's like to have some of our freedom taken from us as a citizen or as an American. It's been challenged to certain degrees. Uh, the reality is, it's something you have to fight for, something that needs to be maintained. So it's not just you can have it free every time, but to stay in freedom, you have to learn how to live in freedom. You have to learn how to live in freedom. Do you want to be free? Today, you can encounter Jesus. Hopefully, this morning, you already have encountered Jesus. Even under the most dire and desperate circumstances, when Jesus enters your life, he changes everything. Now, I am totally good with this morning speaking a message that you already have a full comprehension and your literal understanding if it's just one person to hear this this morning, it is literally worth it. But I'm not just speaking to a person. I'm speaking to a people who are supposed to be one. If you have racial indifferences, 
Gender indifferences. If you have social indifferences, you, my friend, are not living in the freedom of Jesus. For God so loved the world, he had no limitations to his love. Is there the possibility that there's something more than where we just arrived to? That we can no longer compare ourselves with somebody or the, who we used to be to be satisfied with who we are. He wants to extend freedom, not just to you, but to his church. He wants his church, for God's sake, to grow up. He wants his church, for Christ's sake, to grow up. He wants us to mature, to grow in grace and knowledge of him. Perhaps on your journey, you ought to include Jesus, I want to know you. Not just Jesus, I want you to save me, but I want you to know me. I want to grow in the knowledge of who you are. I would highly encourage you as a believer, hopefully as a follower, that you would study the life of Christ. You wouldn't just study in the Old Testament you wouldn't just study in the, in the epistles, but you would take time in the gospels and study the Christ and find out that he is in the Old Testament and he is in the epistles. Get to know Jesus. You can be free from every addiction, from every sinful behavior, free from all guilt or shame. You can be free to live your life as God has created you to live, and you can discover what that life would be like today. It could be the beginning of all things. Now listen to me. You can be free. I'm going to say it again. From all sin. You can be free from all addiction. You can be free, absolutely free, from all bondage. You can be. As I spent time with my lovely wife this past week, it was so God orchestrated, so God designed. It was, it was, it was marvelous. The best, best three days of my 32 years of marriage. But it's how I approached it. I just want to be with her. I just want to be where she wants to be, what she wants to do. And thank goodness, a lot of things she likes to do are a lot of things I love to do. And I'm sure she had the same heart. But the reality of spending time with her, I realized in that moment some bondages I could still have in my relationship. Now, bondage sounds nasty, doesn't it? It's just restricting. It's just, that, it's just that there's ways that I can love her better. And having spent that time with her, I realized now how I could love her better. But I had to deal with the bondages. Why would I not love her more? Why would I not? Now, I just say that to be real with you. So you can be real with yourself. Because there's too many people that just let the word just, just cross over them and just meander around them, but they never grab the word. They're always looking for another word somewhere. They're always looking for something else over here. I've come to a stark realization. If you've been around long enough, you recognize that I have a concern for this. God, forgive, forgive us that our, our height of Christianity is a better preacher or a better singer or a better gift or a better anointing. Last I checked, all that stuff is nothing without love. But the reality is that our, the evidence of our relationship with Christ 
is revealed in our relationship with others. Whether we're serving them, whether we're loving them, whether we're preferring them, or are we on a journey to self-exalt ourselves? Ask yourself, how much of my Christian pursuit is really focused on building somebody, literally focused on building somebody else? Not building your ministry, not building your name, not building your business, not building your team, not building your Christian achievements, but literally the one who could not scratch your back, the one who cannot feed you from their table, the one who has nothing to give you, no accolade whatsoever. No recognition whatsoever. Nobody else even knows they exist and never will know that they exist. That's who Jesus was. He literally came to build our lives. Matter of fact, he said, he said, I did not come to be served. I didn't come to build a staff. I didn't come to build a name or a, a followers. Matter of fact, I don't have many followers. Somebody else runs the social media for information there. I don't have many followers, but today I have a lot of fans. See them? They're all over the church. It's hot in here, isn't it? I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I've got a lot of fans. I'm going to keep you listening. It's not about building us. He said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And not just to serve, but to give my life a ransom for many. Not one, but for many. I want you to think about that because the ultimate goal to our Christianity is transforming into the image of Jesus Christ, the likeness of Christ. I want you this week to imagine making somebody else's life better that can do nothing for you. Now, I'm not talking about imagining what that would be. I'm talking about finding somebody and start imagining what Jesus would look like to them. What would Jesus do for them right now? Would he stop and talk to them? Would he invite them to come eat with him? Would he do a miracle in our life? Come on, somebody. To become like Christ. You can be free, and your freedom is in the one who sets you free. Your freedom... It's not what he can do for you, because I've seen him set many people free. But your freedom is in the one who set you free. It's not what he did for you, it's who he is to you. Amen? That's where your freedom is. That's where my freedom is. That's where our freedom is, is in Christ. I'm going to share something that I took from a study of Dr. Graham, not Billy Graham, but Jack Graham. So those stories of reference point. Near Michelangelo's famous statue of David, four unfinished sculptures lie in the hallways, and the calling of them is the captives, the captives. Michelangelo had planned to use them as part of Pope Julian's tomb with protruding limbs and body parts. Each piece appears to be a human figure trying to escape its marble enclosure. On the scene of the sculptures for the first time, author Theodore Roeder wrote, Quote, when I looked at those parcel figures, they stirred up in me a deep longing to be completed and ache to be set free from that which distorts and disguises, imprisons, and inhibits my humanity, humanity, my humanness, my wholeness. But as those statues, I cannot liberate myself. I cannot liberate myself. For that, I need the hand of another. I want you to think about that. 
perhaps it's going to take a great source of humility, which perhaps, or yet promise, will give you a greater source of grace. I cannot liberate myself. I cannot. I need the hand of another. I need one hand nailed here, another hand nailed there. I need a few feet. I need somebody stabbed in the side and crowned with thorns. What a rare admission. In our culture, we praise the entrepreneur and the self-made man. According to God's word, God's people are qualified by their dependence on God, not their independence. I didn't choose that simply because it was Independence Weekend. I think we should celebrate the independence of America. I really do. I think we should celebrate the other hands and the other blood that was shed, the other voices, the ones that curated it, the ones that created it, the ones that involved in it. I think we should celebrate. I really do. I think we should celebrate gladly and rejoice. But I mind you, the issue with America is not that it celebrates independence, it's that it's forgot its dependence upon God. It's the moral decline. And when there's moral decline, the morality is affected. We cheer for the wrong things. We pursue the wrong stuff. We need a savior, not a motivational speaker. Jesus sets us free in ways that we could never accomplish ourselves. I remind you, you can be free today. You can become free. What he needs to do, he's already done. I said what he needs to do to set you free for the need that you have, he's already done. You don't need to be slain in the spirit to be set free. You don't need to be prophesied over to be set free. You don't need to be healed to be set free. You need a savior who died on the cross and shed his blood for you. It's all that you need. And what you need to accommodate that is faith. Faith. That's why I'm trying to give you a span of, of knowledge and understanding and some scriptures. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you hear these scriptures and so say, you know what? I do need to be free. Now watch this. If those 3,000 souls, about 3,000 souls who got saved, there's about 3,000 sins that were not committed the next day. That'll change a community. It'll change a household. I want you to know dad. I want you to know mom. I want you to know son or daughter. The secret sins are no secret. What you're performing is taking space of what you should be doing. And if you're spending your life on lust of whatever that is, whatever pleasure that is, you're, you're subtracting and eliminating. You're denying love for somebody else. Most likely love for God. You cannot be living in the lust of the world and be loving God at the same time. But if you're loving God, you can't be loving others while you're loving God. Why not live on the great side instead of the lesser side? Amen? Curses could be broken in your household. Lives could be changed. Hebrews chapter 9, I'm sure you're already there. Picking up in verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come. 
but Christ became the high priest of the good things to become. Now, when there was a priest in the Old Testament, and they would give offerings of sacrifice to prevent bad things that could come. Jesus came not only to prevent, but that good things could come in your life. Jesus makes life better. Jesus in the morning. Jesus in the noontime. Jesus when the sun goes down and Jesus in the middle of the night. Jesus makes life better. You may be saying mine's not better. Don't you try it without him. Because you think it's bad now. I'm not saying you won't have trials. I'm not saying you won't have tribulations. I'm not saying you won't have hardships. But I'm telling you, life without the Jesus you have now is much worse than the life that you have with him now. Jesus makes life good. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer and sprinkling the unclean sanctifies and purifying of the flesh, how much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works and to serve a living God? Oh, I wish wish there was time to allow us to expand on the whole portfolio that sits in front of us of the scripture here, of the understanding of the life of Jesus Christ, the resume of Jesus Christ. And you have that in your hands if you have a Bible. Maybe you have it on your app. I would encourage you again to study the life of Jesus Christ. There's so much that needs to be done in the church that there's not enough time in the church to get done what needs to be done. But it's not just about church. You are the church. You are the church. Have your own church service in your heart, with your family, in your house. Notice it comes to the end of from from dead works to serve the living God. Remember, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. This is how you know that Jesus, he was not bound to the laws. He was released to the freedom to serve, to serve. Freedom from bondage. You know, in the beginning of the Old Testament, there's a story in Exodus that tells us a lot about the people of God being set free from bondage and how he came to to live amongst them. And we have that promise also. God said, hey, Moses, build me a tabernacle. There's this big, large, spanning area, these tents there with stages in it, and build me, and I will live in the Holy of Holies. I'll live amongst you. Jesus wants to live amongst us now. You are now a tabernacle. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians says that your earthly tabernacle, the skin, the flesh that you have on, and the bones and the structure are the tent stakes. You're a tabernacle. You're a dwelling place. Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? God dwells and lives inside of you. There's been a pattern from the get-go to where we get to go of how we're supposed to live with God. And he said, I'll live amongst you. He said, matter of fact, build it according to the revelation. When Salome was singing, she said, this, is, this has to happen for what we're talking about to happen. And his eyes be open. Yeah. I want to encourage you. If you take notes, take notes. If you don't have a piece of paper, you can steal an offering envelope. Just give us a dime next week. <laughs> no. 
You, you can use an offering envelope in front of you. Write this down. I want revelation of Christ. I want revelation. That may not be a common terminology for those who serve in the church, those who attend quite often in, in spiritual atmosphere. We hear more about those, those that are going to the school and revelation. He wants to open your eyes to see him. He wants to open your spiritual eyes that you can know him. When Christ be revealed to you in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time. So the Bible describes how God set his people free from bondage. Exodus 25, 40, Hebrews 5, 8, 5. The tabernacle, like I said, was a big, massive two-tent room surrounded by a large courtyard. Uh, God's presence was believed to dwell there. Now, when I say believed, you think, well, uh, by who? By you and I. Whosoever believes. It's your choice. You don't have to believe. You don't have to believe. It's your choice to believe. What a freedom. What a gift. What freedom. He's already extending us freedom even when we have a need of freedom. Nobody was meant to be held in captivity. The first room was where the priest would conduct the offering of sacrifices that I mentioned earlier. The blood of calves and goats and they would kill those and there would be blood shed and then, then he would, no one was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies but the priest once a year, once a year he was allowed to go in there and make that offering uh, for the blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of the nation. I think we've lost that touch a little bit. We don't have that concept of a body anymore. You still have that freedom. You can wake up next Sunday, and because you don't like the worship at one church, you don't like the preaching at one church, you don't like the length of time at one church, you can just go wherever you want. want. But I think that's dangerous. I think we lose the, the sense of body. We get enmembered and dismembered quite often. Matter of fact, I would say to you that maybe if you're here this morning, it's your first time, second time, maybe it's your hundredth time that you've been here. I haven't said this in a while, but if you left somewhere hurt and that hurt hasn't been healed, let's get together. I'd like to walk you through that with that pastor. I'd like to walk you through that with that church member. We're not here to, to grow bigger than another one because we do things differently or better so we might think or so someone else might think. You know, we need the body of Christ healed. We need the body of Christ healed. And wherever that woundedness may be in your life, we want to help you walk through that. The tabernacle was designed and administration was served to constantly remind God's people that there is a barrier between sin and the presence of God. Remember, there's a veil there. The sin's on the outside. Only the sacrifice can come in. Sin creates a barrier. Flesh creates a veil between you and God. God wants you to live in his presence. God wants you to live in his likeness. God wants you to live near and close to him. But Jesus became that sacrifice. And Jesus was provided for us through God, his only begotten son. No longer bulls and calves and goats, turtle pigeons. It's now Jesus' blood. And because of his blood and his atonement, the veil is separated that you and I can live in the presence of God. You and I don't have to just merely go to church to experience his presence. We can live in his presence. We can live in, in relationship with God. Church is a wonderful thing. And it's going to be full of wonders when people live it on the outside that are coming here on the inside. Amen? 
Jesus Christ became uh, that eternal redemption for his people, according to Roman, uh, Hebrews 9.12. A familiar concept. It's the recipients that would get this, it's, it's given us the idea of what he can be to us as he was to them. But what happens here is that Jesus, in essence, pays the price. He makes an atonement. You know the old saying, you owed a debt you could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I want you to know something. Your meal ticket to eternity was already paid for. If ever... This has happened to me on different occasions. I'm in a restaurant. I'm eating lunch with someone, breakfast with someone, dinner with someone. And all of a sudden, it comes time to the conclusion of my meal. And the waiter or waitress says, somebody picked up your tab. Two things I want to say here. One, if you ever did and I didn't know it, didn't get a chance to say thank you, thank you. I know I do that for people. Because why? Here again... It's an example of what Jesus did for us. Did you get that? It's an example of what Jesus did for us. He paid the ticket. Your, your bills are already paid. I remember a time in my life, I was struggling with a addiction, a lifestyle of alcoholism and, and drug addiction and involvement and all that social kind of living, and I was not doing really well in school. My parents uh, had, had provided, had, had made a way for us to be able to go off to college, and I, didn't, I obviously didn't respect it. I love and appreciate them, but I didn't respect it, and I went and did my own thing, my own way. I used my liberty as an occasion to my flesh. I didn't have a curfew. I could come anytime I wanted to. I could eat pizza every night if I wanted to. I could just do, I didn't have to go to class if I didn't want to. Nobody was there to wake me up and tell me to go to class. I used my liberty as an occasion to the flesh. I did some damage in a fraternity house. Pretty severe damage. I didn't know how much, but I never told anybody. I hid from it and went off to summer vacation. And then guilt started hitting me, conscience started hitting me. And then the fear of going back and having to face it, for surely somebody's got to pay for the damage that was done. And I didn't. That was the summer I decided, decided I was going to drop out of college. Dropped out of college, and I went to a whole nother level in my drug addiction because I was hanging out with a bunch of dropouts. And not that college is where you have to go. Uh, the idea is, is who you hang out with. Avoid bad company. It corrupts good behavior. Hang out with bad company. It's going to develop more bad character. I got worse. Found out some years later that talking with my dad and after I'd gotten saved, after I'd gotten healed and delivered from all that, that they had sent a bill to the house and he had paid that for that damage. It was all paid for, but my ignorance of it allowed me to go further away from God. Is there the possibility in this room this morning that that bondage that you do not address, you don't have to tell me about it. You don't have to tell your neighbor about it. You don't have to tell anybody about it. Confess your sins and your faults to God. Confess your need to God. He'll meet you. But is there the possibility, now that you know that there's an atonement, that if you don't take that atonement, things at home are going to get worse. Things at, worse, at, at, at work are going to get worse. There's a very good possibility. A very good possibility. Matter of fact, Jesus said to many people and even said to a fig tree, he said, if it's, not, if it's not producing fruit this time next year, curse it, cut it down, get rid of it. 
He told the, the woman caught in adultery, and, and he ministered to her. He didn't, didn't condemn her. He set her free, gave her freedom. They're getting ready to stone her, getting ready to kill her, getting ready to crucify her, in essence. He said, you know, you without sin, throw the first stone. They all dropped their stones. They walked away. He said, where are your accusers? No longer, I don't accuse you either. He said, but go and sin no more. Don't leave that tag off. Just keep on sinning. Just keep on doing it. No, 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 no. It will get worse. It will get worse. Is anybody with me this morning? In Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus said, for this is my blood of the new covenant. I mean, he's connecting with all this stuff all the way back to the old covenant. And the author of Hebrew tells us about there's a new covenant of better things. Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus' blood forgives us of our sins. It was intentional. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't circumstantial. It was one and for all. It was once and for all. He shed his blood. He gave it as a drink offering. Intentionally. So that you can be free, not just of what you're practicing, of what you've been bound to. You may not even be practicing what you're bound to. He can take away according to your conscience and give you a clear mind and a clean heart. In Matthew 20, verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him. Do you remember the Zebedee's sons? There was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the early disciples that were walking with Jesus. I mean, they're walking down this road. I mean, they're like the sold out. They're like the radical. They're like the committed over there. And here comes mommy. You know, they they went to mom first before they went to Jesus. And they went to mom and said, you know what, mom? And who knows? Maybe mom went to them. I don't know. She came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking from him. Notice this posture. Kneeling down and asking. Does that kind of sound like your nighttime prayers? Maybe your morning prayers? She's in a posture of prayer. She's requesting something from him. Have you ever knelt and asked? She's kneeling and asking. And Jesus said to her, what do you wish? Well, what is it you desire? Uh, What what can I possibly grant to you? Jesus answers prayer. May not always be the answer you want, but it will always be the answer you need. She said, grant that these two sons of mine, there must have been more, or the two that are present. She said, grant these two sons of mine that they may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left hand, in your kingdom. To be seated on the right hand or the left hand in a king's kingdom would be a sign of second most powerful, third most powerful, influential being. Kind of like how Daniel rose to the ranks. Kind of how Joseph rose to the ranks. And they were given a signet ring and given such authority there. Beautiful story. 
I mean, they have read these stories. They know about it, and, and, and they desire to be, to be positioned. They desire to be elevated. But what they didn't understand, I don't have time to break all this down, but what they didn't understand is that they had the wrong perspective. They had an earthly perspective. As so often we do, we try to get the kingdom to fit into our earthly perspective instead of getting our earthly perspective redirected to the kingdom perspective. What do I mean by that? It's simple. They literally thought Jesus was coming to establish his kingdom in Israel on earth, that he was going to be the president, that he was going to be the king, that he was going to be the ruler, and they wanted to be his second in command. They wanted to be on his cabinet. They wanted to be in that position. They wanted to have power. They wanted to have authority. Now, they had been with him, the best of our nods, longer than anybody else, so they're probably pretty well positioned. So maybe they weren't asking something too far out, but you know, maybe somewhere along the line when they started coming into this thing and then all of a sudden they added 10 more, they're thinking, oh my goodness, this could be a competition. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Uh, notice that there's a little turning here. He's not talking to mom anymore. He's talking to the ones who want the seats. He said, you're asking something really difficult. Let me say this to you. Don't be afraid to pray difficult prayers. You hear me? It engages an interaction. Jesus never rebukes them for what they desire. Never rebuked them for it. Again, so often when we read something like that, we think, look at these two. They're prideful. They want this. They want that. No, 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 no. That's because we're looking at it from our worldly perspective, trying to fill a kingdom perspective inside of our worldly perspective. Watch how this finishes out. You don't know what you're asking. They, they said we're able. That word able there means we're willing. Whatever the cost is, we're willing. Let me ask you a question that maybe somebody should have asked you five years ago, 10 years ago. Are you willing to do whatever he says? Are you willing to take all of your ability and to submit it to his lordship? All of your ability. We're able to do this. Yes, we will do whatever you ask of us to do. No one said, what cup? I trust you. Trust your teachings. I've seen your ones. You've been nothing but faithful to me, nothing but good to me. Why would I doubt you? Why would I not believe you? Yes, we are able. In one way, they're saying that's how bad we want it. Maybe Jesus was testing their desire. Don't be afraid to ask difficult prayers. He said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. I don't know about you, but I've had those prayers before. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm like, ah, ah, ah. I don't know. I should pray that way, you know. I mean, you're just, you're holding your lip, you go get a drink of water, and you come back and start reading the scripture. You go, oh. Anybody ever been there? You say, are you serious? Seriously? Oh, very serious. 
That's why it's so serious right now. He's there. You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I thought you were going to be the king. Oh, no, I'm just a servant of the Most High God. You're not of the priesthood of this world anymore. You're not of the kingship of man. Uh, let me introduce to you my father. This is God's kingdom I'm building. This is not an earthly tabernacle built with the hands of man. This is better than. This is greater than. Uh, this is more than. He said, that's, that's God's, my father. That's, that's not mine to give, but it's for those whom is, is prepared for by my father. Did you ever realize this? Is that God is preparing something for you? And God is preparing you for something? We're all in a preparation. And this is where it can get dangerous, is that we, we start to prepare with our own concept of what kind of kingdom we think we're going to build. I remember when I came to the back to what was the rock and when before we became the well and the Lord whispered to me as silently whisper as I could possibly get, but as thunderous of a voice I've ever heard, I want my church back. I want my church back. So, so that, that, oh, that's what this is about? Yeah, I want to establish my kingdom because not until my kingdom comes is my will done. How much have we done in our lives that we thought was the will of God? but it was just our willingness. Not that altogether that's bad, but we're not going to see the wonders of God and the glory of God and the goodness of God until it's God's will that's being done. When was the last time, church? Last time on a Monday, on a Thursday, on a Friday night, you literally engaged yourself in a conversation between you and God or even you and yourself. Those are good conversations to have sometimes. What is the will of God? What is God's will for my life? I'm willing to do anything, but what is God's will for my life? These whoopersnappers, full-grown boys, show up with mom. I mean, seriously, no offense, mom, none whatsoever, but you don't bring mommy to meetings like that. Uh, mom, would you ask him? Not really sure. Because you know mommy's going to say something nice about you. No bias whatsoever when it comes to moms. But the other ten are there. Could you imagine that DJ? Walking up with Miss Stacy saying, oh, Mom, if Stacy was sitting in between the two of you right now. You got brothers right here. Could you put Cody here and DJ there? Those boys, I know them. They'd be like, oh, no. Mom. Now, they'd be holding her. And I know Stacy. She's like, boys, you will get it yourself. You go and get it. It's not something bad they're going for again. Wrong perspective. Scenario's not perfect. Nor is mine, nor is yours. We want the kingdom of God. We want the will of God. America may get doomed one day. I don't know. But I do know this. According to Scripture, every nation... In a coming day somewhere will be against Israel. That's what the Bible says. I can't change that. But I can make sure it doesn't change me. 
and take me from the one who is my change maker. Amen? While we have it good, let's make sure we're getting better at it. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with two brothers. I mean, they're, now they, they've created an atmosphere, okay? But Jesus called them to himself. Friends, the only thing that's going to heal or solve any indifferences and schisms is coming to Jesus. Uh, Gretchen and I, if I can just side note for a second, spent some time in uh, Franklin, Tennessee this past week. And we went to Carnton House and Carter House. Maybe there's some Civil War um, historians amongst us. Uh, Carnton House was named Carnton House simply because in the uh, uh, Irish idealism of that word, it means the piling of stones like a tomb. More people died on that piece of property during the Civil War than the next 10 wars all put together. Prophetically, they had no idea they're naming it prophetically. But you know, there was so much carnage, Carnton, in that place. Some were fighting for what was right. Some were fighting for what was wrong. But they all were fighting for what they believed in. And so much blood was shed. Matter of fact, in that beautiful mansion, there's still blood stains in the hardwood floor. It was so deep. Some areas they covered up was so bad. What do you believe in? What do you believe in? Do you believe enough to shed your blood? He shed enough blood for all of us. There was more power in the blood of Jesus than the amount of blood in the Civil War all put together. More. Do you believe in Jesus? Are you willing to serve his will, his desire, line up with his kingdom. And the promise is, even if you were to die for what you believe, you still get to live forever. Amen. It's a pretty good system. Amen. Amen. Amen? When the ten heard it, they were displeased. You know, I thought about all that blood in Carnton, in Cartersville, Spring Hill, all those areas out around there. Thought about all that blood. And there is the blood of one that could have solved the whole thing. Listen to me. I hate to have to say this, but there will always be heart issues. There will always be sin issues. There will always be racial issues. There will always be gender issues. There will always be social status issues. Always. As long as there's sin. Jesus and only Jesus not bullets and knives, not tanks and missiles. There's a place for national war. I understand that, of defending borders. But you got to have borders to defend borders. But the reality is, Jesus, one drop of his blood could have saved all that. One drop of blood could have saved as many people in the middle of that war than all the blood that was shed. Amen? When the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased, the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself. Thank you, Joel. You can join me. And said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord 
it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Listen to this. Whoever desires, we're able, we're willing. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Let him be. I don't know about you, but I'm not afraid to say I want us to be a great church. Matter of fact, I'm not afraid to say I want us to be the greatest church we can be. No competition to another church. But the secret and the instruction is simply serve. I'm going to give you an assignment. You could go to it today. You can do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way down the road. Serve somebody. Serve somebody. Serve their interest. Church, serve their embitterment. Serve for their gain and not your own. Don't worry, God will take care of you and what you need because what you sow, you'll reap. Amen? It's just a kingdom principle. But how can we serve people? You know, if I were to tell you how to serve people, it'd be like laying a law down on how to love God. Let the Lord lead you. Let the Lord show you. Let the Lord use you. We mean use me. He came not to be served, but to serve. Be Jesus to somebody else. Be Jesus to your neighbor. Be Jesus to your employer or your employees. Be Jesus to those that you trade with, those that you sport with, those that you do activities with. Serve somebody else. He said, if you desire to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's how you become like Jesus. Serve. I'm grateful for all those who serve in capacities such as the military, police force, fire service, public service, people that climb towers, I mean poles, to make sure that you and I have power and energy. And when they don't get there in 30 seconds, we're mad at them. It's a public service. And the list could go on and on and on. But are we going to let the public outdo the kingdom? This is our hour. This is our day. This is our time. This is when we get to serve somebody else. Let's do it as a lifestyle. Let's make a difference in somebody else's life. You know one thing that's evident of the Holy Spirit in your life? Is when you get these strange feelings to help somebody. You see the Holy Spirit is a helper. He's a helper. He wants us to help other people. Let's make Scottsboro and the surrounding areas, the region, someplace special. By doing special things to help people that don't feel so special. Let's go love somebody. And all he's asking you to do is desire. Dan and Cheryl going back to Minnesota. She said, I just want, I just want our story to be heard. We're going to pray over you. Release you guys to Minnesota. Why don't you guys stand up for a second? Awkward as it may seem to be. 
I declare now in the wonderful, glorious name of Jesus Christ, may the spirit of the living God fill you, anoint you, equip you, and may he provide for you everything that somebody else is going to need that God's going to use you to do. May there be ears to hear what you have to say. May there be hearts to receive what you have to do. And may there be the talents and the abilities in your hands and upon your feet to serve the kingdom cause from here to Minnesota and while you're in Minnesota. We bless you. We release you. We separate you unto the Holy Spirit to be used by God to serve the path and the plan that God has for you. If you want a prayer like that over your life, why don't you stand up for this moment? You want to be enabled by God, empowered by God, supplied by God. This is what God wants to do. It's what he wants to do. He wants to use you and I. You were created. You're a marvelous work. You're wonderful, matchless. Nobody is likened to you. You are yourself. And he created you as a good work to do good works. We can make a difference. We can be difference makers, amen? If you want and are willing for God to use you, just lift your hands. I declare this over you. You have independence to be free because of the blood that Jesus shed for you. I declare over you because of your dependence upon God, God will be your source. God will be your supply line. God will be your voice. God will be your courage. God will be your help. And God will be your strength. God will be your knowledge that he will lay upon you to help somebody else. May you be a part of 3,000 more souls being born again and saved. May you be the agent of his love. May you be the distributor of his power and of his miracles and of his wonders. May you be the smile that causes somebody to feel like somebody else loves them, even if they don't know them. May you be the touch that brings healing. May you be the joy that that develops life in somebody else. May you and I have the mind and the heart, the ability and the willingness to serve others above ourselves. God, if you can use me, here I am. Use me for your glory. Use me for your honor. Use me to advance your kingdom. This is not a well thing. This is a kingdom thing. Lord, use me for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stay standing for just a moment. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity to the flesh. But through love, serve one another. You know, I didn't put that first because that's usually first where we go to. How can we serve each other? That's life. It's what we do. We need to take care of the household of faith. We need to take care of each other. But we have got to serve outside of us too. Amen? we got to serve beyond just in the church, to the church, and as a church. But I encourage you to serve one another. And I want to say this to you as the well especially. You're good at that. I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for you. I'm honored to do life together with you. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in this one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed. Perhaps you're here this morning in need of a Savior, not a motivational speaker, but you need a Savior. You need the blood of Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to save you, that you may be born again and become a follower of Jesus Christ. But today you would like to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart and to be born again. If that's you, just lift your hand where you are this morning. Anybody? Yes. Anybody else? It'll be a great day. This is where old things pass away and everything becomes brand new. Let me ask you this one, okay? Do you need the blood of Jesus to cleanse your conscience? You know you've been born again. You've accepted him by faith, but you live with guilt. You live with shame. You live with embarrassment, a low self-esteem, bad identity. And today you'd like to be washed by the blood of Jesus and cleansing. Lift your hand if that's you, anybody? Hallelujah. Yes. Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, today I acknowledge you as Savior and Lord of my life. Lord, take your place in my heart and be the king of my life. I submit to the kingdom authority of the plan of God. And Lord Jesus, I acknowledge, I accept, I request a fresh flow of the blood of Christ upon my life. Clear conscience, clean heart, clean hands. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate the Lord? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May lift up His countenance over you and watch you keep watch over you may the Lord our God extend grace to you empower you and enable you may the Lord our God provide for you protect you and may he give you shalom shalom may he give you peace peace may he fix anything broken may he drive out all chaos out of your life and literally give you peace in Jesus name amen Listen, have a happy 4th of July. Be careful. Don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Serve others. Serve the Lord. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you.